0: to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we travel to Indonesia in this week's Asia 360 segment, where the country just pulled off the world's second largest single day democratic elections. We'll look at what's going on in the country and why that matters to Canadian businesses. The conventional banking business has undergone rapid technological change in the last decade. On April 25th, BIV's Business Excellence Series is back with a panel discussion on the next big things in banking and finance. Our discussion will explore the future of this space, policy challenges, the impacts on incumbents, and the opportunities for upstarts. For tickets and information, visit biv.com slash bes-banking-finance. The $40 billion initial investment in LNG Canada, the nation's largest private sector infrastructure project in history, offers enormous economic opportunity for BC. That's something we've spoken about quite a bit on this show. Well, you can join us in person on April 30th for a panel discussion on navigating Canada's LNG opportunity. This is a vital session for any business interested in benefiting from this opportunity. For a list of speakers and event details, visit biv.com slash events. You've taken the hard decision to sell the firm, but guess what? The hard work is only just beginning. What can you do to ensure you aren't making mistakes as you sell? Well, you can find out when BIV hosts an expert panel on finding the best price and buyer for your business. That's on May 8th at the Vancouver Club the second wave of cannabis legalization is coming on may 22nd our cannabis 2.0 event will examine and size up the opportunities in this expanded market we'll look at edibles infused beverages topicals and vapes for more information on this event and all of our events head on over to biv.com slash events here's our show Every other week, we take a deeper look at the economics, policies, issues and politics of the world's fastest growing region. This is our Asia 360 segment. And today we're heading over to Indonesia. Joining me for this conversation, Jeff Reeves, Vice President of Research at the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Good morning.
0: Last segment, we talked about India, which is now embarking upon, I think, the the largest democratic election process, although over many, many weeks. Indonesia this week had, I think it's the third largest democratic election in a single day. Yes. What were the results?
1: Well, so the early results see um, good news for the incumbent, uh, Joko Widodo. It looks like he was uh, reelected with uh, somewhere between uh, 7 and 8% of voters are actually a, of a margin of 7 or 8% over uh, Prabowo Subianto, who was his uh, opposition. So it looks like uh, there's going to be a continuation of leadership in Indonesia moving forward for the next five years.
0: And what is this a continuation of? What have we seen from the incumbent?
1: So uh, Joko Widodo, who's known as Jokowi uh, in Indonesia and mostly in the media, uh, is a, uh, a politician who ran on a platform of poverty reduction, and investment in infrastructure. So some of the major things that he's done over the last couple of years are invest heavily in things like roads and connectivity. Indonesia is a, a nation state of about 17,000 islands. Mm-hmm. So one of the uh, drives towards modernization that it needs to make is connecting those islands, connecting those population centers, moving towards urbanization, uh, and providing social goods for people that have been outside of the, you know, the state control for a, a very long time. So uh, Jokowi ran on that. Uh, he said he would deliver about 7% growth uh, for the time that he was in office. He's achieved about 5%, which is still very good for a developing economy, but there's a lot of opportunity in the uh, Indonesian economy for further growth. And I think that uh, this election shows that the Indonesian people have faith in Jokowi for being able to d- deliver that growth going forward.
0: For the Indonesian people, what was this election really about?
1: So I see this election as being uh, a, about sort of three things. One, of course, is a, a, a referendum on um, Jokowi's performance. Mm-hmm. And to that end, I think that the voters came forward and said that they have faith in what he's done, that they're they're happy with some of the things he's done around poverty reduction, around the provision of healthcare, for example, to isolated communities. A uh, move towards uh, urbanization, the investment in fixed assets, uh, roads, bridges, etc. Um, on the other hand, I think there's a, a another part of this election was around Indonesia's relationship with China. So uh, this was actually also seen in the 2014 election between Prabowo and uh, uh, Jokowi. So the same two people ran against each other this time. Uh, back then as well, uh, one of the talking points about around Prabowo's campaign was that Jokowi was a pro-Chinese politician, mm. that he was too close to Beijing, uh, that he supported minorities, the ethnic Indonesian minorities, more than he supported the um, Muslim majority. So about 88% of uh, Indonesians are Muslim, but a small minority of Indonesians uh, have a Chinese ethnic backgrounds. So that was a charge that he had coming into the 2014 election and one that was again played up in this election.
0: Diving into some of these a little bit more deeply, I'm curious, we've spoken before about the role of China in the region. Mm -hmm. Are accusations like that, that politicians are beholden to Beijing in some way, becoming more and more common in politics?
1: It's not so much about Beijing's influence on the political process as it is concern about the uh, accumulation of debt. Mm. Uh, So in 2018, Jokowi agreed to about $30 billion worth of Chinese investment into infrastructure development. Uh, What we saw was Prabowo coming forward and saying, you know, this is just making us uh, dependent on China. We need to worry about this. In many ways, we see that this same kind of dialogue coming around, for the example, the Malaysian elections, uh, where there was a big concern about debt trap diplomacy, playing up this idea that China has uh, using its economy kind of as a fifth column to get uh, a buy-in or to get, you know, uh, control over certain parts of the government. But really, at this point, it's just about becoming economically dependent and not having a diverse enough um, portfolio within the the state sovereign debt.
0: To what extent is this fear-mongering? To what extent is there maybe some validity to these concerns?
1: Well, I mean, I I think it's, it's a good fundamental question that a lot of developing countries that engage with Chinese uh, loans and um, assistance are struggling with. Ultimately, I think, though, it becomes a question of governance within the country. These states, uh, developing states in particular, whether in Africa or Southeast Asia, have long struggled with this idea of how to manage debt. It hasn't always been about how to manage Chinese debt, um, debt from the United States, debt from the European Union, just overall debt. And from a a domestic perspective, this is not a China-specific issue, but a a matter of governance. Can you take foreign debt? Can you take sovereign debt uh, and manage it? So it's not so much about China, but more and more, uh, it's being shaped that way in Southeast Asia. Fair Uh, enough. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned, of course, the religious aspect and the impacts that has on culture and identity and politics in Indonesia. It's a very young population too. So I'm curious, maybe these competing forces of what in other parts of the world is a young and secular population against maybe a long history of religion in the country.
1: So that would be the third component that I think this election was about, about the role of Islam in uh, Indonesian politics and in Indonesian society. So Jokowi was for a long time seen as not being Islamic enough. He is a practicing Muslim, um, but he's seen as also being quite sympathetic to other minorities in the country, and for a long time was portrayed by his opposition as being uh, Muslim in name only. Uh, whereas Prabowo pushed forward this idea of a very robust Indonesian Muslim identity uh, built around nationalism, a national identity, embracing the role of Islam in, is, in Indonesian politics and society. So you had these two competing views, one kind of based around a more modern interpretation of Islam and one based around more of a traditional interpretation. Um, Jokowi must have felt the pressure at a certain point because he did did decide a couple of uh, a weeks ago to choose a running mate that was a that is a uh, a Muslim cleric and head of one of the larger Muslim organizations in Indonesia, a 75 year old man. Uh, what we saw here was again some tension, as you mentioned. Indonesia is a very young country; about 30 percent of the population is under 14. Uh, about 70 million new voters in this election. Uh, new voters meaning they're voting for the first time between 16 and 20 years old were coming out, so that's uh, about a third of total Indonesian voters. So on the one hand, Jokowi had to appeal to the youth vote. On the other hand, he had to appeal to the Muslim vote, and at least it it, it seems that he made the rationale to privilege the Muslim vote over the the youth vote, even though he had a a chance of alienating the the youth vote with a seventy-five year old, uh, you know, a Muslim (laughs) cleric picked for his running mate.
0: Fair enough. I, like my question about the role of China or foreign governments in the region, what's the role of religion in countries in Southeast Asia at this point in time?
1: Well, Indonesia's long been seen as a more moderate Muslim country. In fact, it's been pointed to um, by states in the West for a long time as an example of what um, Islamic modernization could look like. Mm. And this was an important part of the narrative, especially immediately after two, uh, September 11th, where there was an attempt by Western nations to understand uh, global movements within the broader Islamic world. Uh, whereas middle uh, the Middle East was seen as moving towards a more conservative adoption of, of Islam, Southeast Asia was seen as one of the, the last places where uh, Islam was moving in, in sort of a modern direction.
0: Indonesia is a force in the region. It has such a big population. What's its role in terms of facilitating things like trade or economic mm. partnerships within Southeast Asia?
1: So... Uh, under Jokowi, uh, Indonesia pursued its its kind of a standard foreign policy engagement strategy, um, which is built around kind of two different pillars, one being a, a commitment to non-alignment. So Indonesia was one of the first states to move towards non-alignment. So actually the 1955 Bandung conference where India, China and Indonesia and other self-described third world countries came together and said, rather than pick a side in the Cold War, we're going to have an independent foreign policy going forward. And that idea of non-alignment stays, I think, pretty central to what Indonesia's done. On the other side, you have Indonesian engagement with ASEAN being the other side of its foreign policy approach in Southeast Asia uh, with regards to trade, with regard to security. There, there's been a hope that Indonesia would step up and actually have a leadership role within ASEAN. And what we've actually seen is that uh, rather than doing that, Indonesia's used ASEAN to essentially kind of pass the buck in terms of its leadership responsibilities. So it's looked for ASEAN, for example, to um, take the lead on foreign policy issues where it's not really what ASEAN does. And it would be more natural for Indonesia being the largest country within ASEAN to take that role. So we see these these kind of tensions uh, um, within uh Indonesian foreign policy. Jokowi has actually been much more pragmatic. Uh, there's been a hope, again, that Indonesia could lead on debates around, for example, security in the South China Sea or the Rohingya issue in Myanmar or having a, a position um, that could become an ASEAN position on the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang and China. Uh, but it hasn't. It's, it's chosen to stay away from those controversial issues and focus more on having a foreign policy built around achieving domestic goals, like getting investment in infrastructure, mm.
0: etc. Fair enough. For other ASEAN members, would they be comfortable with Indonesia taking over that leadership position? What are those relationships like?
1: I think there's an acceptance within Southeast Asia that Indonesia, just because of its, it's the size of its population, you're looking at a you know 260 million people. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, a, is a natural leader within the Southeast Asian uh, context. I think they would look to have ASEAN have a, a restraining role to a degree on Indonesia being able to, for example, have unilateral action in the South China Sea. But it is seen as an important, probably the most important state within ASEAN in terms of not only its, its present position, But its future growth. So I think the World Bank has said by 2030, Indonesia will be the seventh largest economy in the world. It'll be bigger than the United Kingdom. It'll be bigger than Germany. And if you think about the demographics, as you said, the youth bulge in Indonesia, all of this potential uh, there's a, a really significant chance that Indonesia will emerge as the most important sub-regional actor in Southeast Asia.
0: So the country should be on our radar here in Canada.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> It's, it's a, an, an interesting country in that respect because rather than adopt the model, the traditional development model that other Asian states have, which is a very export-driven model, uh, well, they'll develop their own domestic industries and export to the United States or the, the European Union or other advanced economies. A lot of uh, Indonesia's growth for the last couple of decades has come on domestic consumption mm. and uh, improvements in productivity. So there's a lot of opportunity within the existing Canadian model, or excuse me, the existing Indonesian model for further growth along those lines.
0: Is Canada on Indonesia's radar?
1: I would say marginally. Uh, Indonesia is on Canada's uh, radar. Mm -hmm. So as of 2018, Indonesia was the second largest destination for Canadian foreign direct investment into Asia, uh, about $2.8 billion in 2018. A bilateral trade between the two countries was about 1.1 billion uh, Indonesian imports into Canada and about 1.3 billion exports from Canada to Indonesia. So not a, a significant amount of economic exchange, but certainly a lot of opportunity. When you think, for example, about Canadian pension funds and where they're looking to put their money, a lot of that has been in places uh, like Mexico and Brazil around, for example, uh, roads, toll roads, uh, and hydropower. Both of those things are in desperate demand in Indonesia. So you could do, think of, a, of an opportunity for the pension funds to invest there. Uh, Jokowi has said that he needs about $400 billion in external funding for their internal infrastructure development plans. So there's certainly a lot of opportunity there. I think food security is another area where Canada could engage more closely with Indonesia. It's a major issue in Indonesia right now. they are about Sixty percent, um, sixty percent away from their own domestic capabilities around agriculture to be able to feed their own population. So they have to import sixty percent of the entire food stock that goes to the Indonesian people. Wow. So uh, Canada has a great opportunity there to expand its exports of wheat, of soy. Canola is a natural <laughs> uh, export, in particular because it's halal. Mm-hmm. And with an 88% population, the, a lot of um, cooking in Indonesia actually doesn't use lard or, or fat, but does rely on that kind of vegetable extract. And, and canola would have a, a great opportunity in that market.
0: For Canadian businesses looking to explore this market further, what are some things that would be prudent for them to keep in mind about doing business in Indonesia?
1: That it's a developing country. Uh, and outside of the urban centers, it's going to be a challenge to engage. Mm-hmm. Uh That said, there's a huge push in Indonesia for urbanization. Uh, So there are going to be opportunities around um, providing services in that respect. Uh, If you're thinking about urban management, if you're thinking about introducing uh, energy efficiency into into that kind of um, calculation, I think there's opportunity. The other is that Indonesia has a significant growing middle class. Again, I think with reference to that World Bank report, by 2030, we should have another 100 million um, individuals in Indonesia that are middle class, and they'll be consuming goods. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge opportunity for um, Canadian exporters to Indonesia to meet those consumer demands.
0: Why haven't we seen Indonesia part of the CPTPP?
1: I think the internal regulatory environment in Indonesia is still underdeveloped. That's Mm -hmm. one area for example, when we talk about how uh, Indonesia could be more effective moving forward in economic development, where there is opportunity if Indonesia needs to deal with its own internal regulatory environment before it can enter into a CPTPP type multilateral organization, which really is focused on on bringing kind of higher standards. Indonesia is not quite there yet in terms of regula- regulatory environments around its agricultural uh, industry, around other industries that were a key part of the CPTPP negotiations.
0: Mm. Jeff was- always a pleasure to have you on the show thanks for coming with your insight thanks so much that's jeff reeves vice president of research at the asia pacific foundation of canada that's it for the show today thanks for listening to biv today you can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on itunes and stitcher you can listen to our episode archive at biv.com slash audio and of course if you want to listen watch and read more business news visit biv.com i'm haley wooden thanks again for listening